Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of our little uh, study, some of the thoughts I wanted to share, to talk about, is, uh, is in light of uh, the theme of the camp. Anyone know what the theme of the camp is? Okay, some, some people know. A time to choose, right? can find it's written on your program, a time to choose. And the question is, how do we make our choices? How do we make our choices? I want to examine that a little bit today. How do we choose to do certain things? Why do we make that choice? What is the information that we have to make an informed choice? Sadly, today, there is a grave danger that is present among us as to how we make certain choices. And that danger is so subtle and yet so common that uh, over, over the years, and in my short experience, I'm not that old, but you know, my short experience, I have noticed in talking and discussing with people, there is a certain trend that just keeps coming up again and again. And it has to do with how we make certain choices. And I have come to the realization that it is actually a dangerous trend. And hopefully we will uncover that dangerous trend uh, together today. And so the title, in light of that, a time of choose, the title of what we're going to talk uh, about today is God's Will, Chance, and Coincidence. God's Will, Chance, and Coincidence. Kind of seems a little bit contradictory. Let's see what we can find. As I said, it's something that uh, I've encountered a number of times. As we go through it, I am sure you will be able to relate to some of the things we're going to talk about. Our concept of God and our concept of his character and our concept of his dealings with us shape our character development. Whatever concept we have of God, I'm not just talking here about the truth about God. Whatever, that's part of it. Whatever concept we have of God, of God's character, God's dealing, God's behavior in certain circumstances, our perception or misperception of that will affect our walk with him and our character development and our decision making. And that is why it is worth examining. How is it that we discern and read God's will? in certain events and occurrences that happen in our everyday life, in our church, in our meetings, in whatever circumstance we find. Because all the time, whether we're conscious of it or not, we are making decisions. All the time. And our decision-making can become so refined and so, uh, the process can become so automatic, we don't pause or stop to think as to why we make certain decisions. We just go into autopilot. And so today I want us to stop and step back a little bit and see why we make certain decisions, particularly when it comes to our understanding and our perception of God or God's will. Our view of God shapes our being on every single level. You realize that? on every level. We might be conscious of some, some are, is an unconscious. I'll give you an example, just so we can uh, understand uh, this a little bit. Some people believe that, uh, this is Muslims, 
They believe that their God demands that they kill the infidel. That's the view, the picture they have of God. They develop a character and a personality and an attitude in response to that. Their concept and their picture of God develops their personality, their attitude. Some Christians, some people think that God burns people forever. Right? That somehow God, he has this limit. Once that limit is pushed, and sin has pushed God past that limit, and so he behaves as a sadistic barbarian. And he will burn people forever. And that develops in people a certain characteristic. That if you're pushed enough, you can justify behaviors that normally might not happen. Some other people believe that God is a trinity. That God is really playing a role. That the Father is not really a Father. It's this role play that takes in heaven, uh, that, that's taking place in heaven. I think we're all familiar with that. Isn't that right? And that affects behavior and judgment and decision making. You know, Ken touched on it a little bit. A lot of people don't realize the problem of women's ordination is an outgrowth of the Trinitarian concept of God. You realize that? You know why? Because it's role play and all are interchangeable. The Father could be the Son. We hear that, right? The Father could have come, or me, the Holy Spirit could have come. It just happened to be the Son. But He's not really a Son, and the Father's not really a Father. These are just titles and roles that they are playing. They're actually all co-equal and co-eternal and interchangeable. You see, if this is your pattern of God, if this is your, your original, then you will pattern after that. And so, therefore, man and woman are interchangeable. They are just roles that can be changed, whether in the home or in the church. But that's not my subject today. <laughs> but, but you see, our concept of God determines our decision-making. The greatest safeguard against the, the, the women's ordination, if you know the truth about God, you will never come to that conclusion, or you shouldn't. Because the pattern doesn't dictate. But the problem is a lot of people don't realize, subconsciously, their picture of God dictates that the men and women have to be co-equal in all things, and interchangeable. Some people also believe certain things and certain perceptions about God's will, that God's will is supreme because God is sovereign. For, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I think everybody will put their hand up that God's will is supreme. Of course, God is God. He is the ultimate, highest authority in the universe, and His will rules over all. But brothers and sisters, I want to examine that point a little bit closer today. Because our perception of that, and to what extent we see and understand that particular point, shapes our walk with God and our decision making. And our misperception, which is common among us today, a misperception of that particular point, causes so much trouble among us, as we shall see. The understanding of God's will is supreme, or and I, we, can, we can put it this way, that God's will cannot be thwarted or cannot be overcome because God is God. Now, that is true to a certain extent. Now, that might sound blasphemous that I'm suggesting that maybe perhaps God's will does not always take place or happen. But let's open our Bibles and look at some things. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 
Jesus was praying. The disciples come and they ask him, teach us how to pray. Verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> Jesus said something here about God's will. He asked us to pray for God's will to what? To be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that means? God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. And he asks that we should pray that it should. Did you catch that? God's will on earth does not get carried out as it does in heaven. There is a disharmony between earth and heaven. In other words, God's will on earth many times gets thwarted and does not take place. And Jesus says, in your prayer, I want you to pray that God's will will take place on earth as it takes place in heaven. I want to explore that a little bit because before you start uh, throwing stones at me, I want you to think a little. I want to challenge, challenge, challenge some common, popular, traditional thoughts that we might have when it comes to God's will. If what God wants is what happens, therefore everything that happens is what God wants, right? And that makes ultimately God responsible for sin. Everything that, if everything is ha that happens is according to God's will or God's will, because God's will is supreme, then God has the responsibility for a lot of trouble. That is not the case. Now, there are a lot of people who believe that. There's a, there's a belief of predestination, that God has appointed some people to salvation and some to damnation, regardless of their input in the matter. Just for some, he just has this preference. Some are going here and some are going there. And this belief is closely linked with the idea that God's will is sovereign and everything that God wants happens, and if some people are going to be lost, then obviously God willed that to take place. Now, I don't think anyone here believes that, but I do believe that there is a common similarity that we hold to as far as that is concerned. Not to that extent. That's what I want to explore a little bit today. But why does, what, uh, does God's will not take place on earth as it is in heaven? Because of two factors. And these two major factors, the first one of them is freedom of choice. When God created Adam, he gave him freedom of choice, right? He said, you eat for all these trees, and this tree you don't eat. Now, Adam, it's your choice, loyalty or not. And of course, this is all through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, I said before you today, what? Life and death. Choose life. Jesus says, John 3, 16, that whosoever believeth on him. That's invo that involves choice. Isn't that? God gives choice. Freedom of choice is very important. And with freedom of choice comes responsibility. Grave responsibility. Look at the choice that Adam did, or uh, that Adam made. Grave responsibility. And of course, Adam chose sin. And those two factors, brothers and sisters, freedom of choice plus sin is a formula for chaos. Absolute chaos. And for that purpose and for that reason, we have a discrepancy that prevents God's will from being carried out on earth as it should. Because mankind has said to God, we don't want your will. Isn't that right? And God amazingly has given mankind, has given Adam, that part of the freedom of choice is that you can choose to reject God's will. 
just looking at how God interacts with his creation a little bit. Now this sounds a little bit basic, and, and I want to lay the, the basic foundations first because hopefully it'll pave the way before our time runs out to what we want to get at. And so I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in chance or coincidence? Think about that before you answer quickly. Do you believe in chance? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything like that. I just want you to think. And how does our perception of that particular point impact and affect our walk? Generally speaking, if I were to ask this question, if I were to ask for a show of hands, most people will say no as Christians. Why? Because we believe God is God. He is supreme. He is responsible. Especially if we give our heart to God and our life to God, God leads us and guides us and we come under his will. And so that does not leave much room for luck or chance or all these godless concepts. So we would say, of course, no, we don't believe in chance and coincidence. Good luck. Some people don't like using luck. You know, say, don't use good luck. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as coincidence. What do you believe about that? What do I believe about that? Our perception of that, brothers and sisters, impacts to a great degree our decision-making. Not just in mundane, everyday things, in important spiritual things, as we shall see. So that's why I want to ask this question. Do we believe in chance or coincidence? Let's go to an interesting verse, Ecclesiastes. Let's go to this verse and see what does the wise man say in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, just after Proverbs, of course, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. <clears throat> this is a thinking message. I really want you to think as we're talking here, because it might challenge some of your <laughs> thoughts. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we will look at verse 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. You ever read that verse before? Ever pondered about that, what that verse means? Here is the wise man Solomon, a man who knew God. He, he of course, apostatized. He came back to God. He is inspired to make this uh, observation that he has seen in life. And he says, I looked in life and all these different experiences and, and I see that something called time and chance happens to everyone. Interesting. Well, what does that mean? You see, many times our understanding and our perception of that particular point is actually a security thing for us. It's almost dangerous for us to think otherwise. If someone might say, oh, hold on a minute, are, are you trying to take God out of the picture here? No, we're trying to put God where he really belongs according to inspiration. Because if we misunderstand that, it affects us. For example, I'll give you an example. You get on the train or on the bus or in the gas station, and you bump into John, your old times high school friend. Haven't seen him in years. Bang, you see each other. Pre-planned or coincidence? Depends. Depends on a lot of things. You know, sometimes in hindsight, we can look back and realize, actually, some of these events are pre-planned. 
in that it's not a coincidence. God works that way. But sometimes he doesn't. And there is a danger when we train our mind to think in a certain channel all the time. The answer is not always the same. You see, what Solomon is trying to say here very simply is this. God is not a director in a puppet show where he pulls all the strings. Now, you might not think of it this way, but that's a, that's a common perception many times. Because we think, you know, God knows everything that will happen. And we confuse God's knowledge of things with God's doing of things. And there's a big difference. Just because God knows something doesn't necessarily mean God is the one who's doing everything that happens, even though he knows that. God does not pull all the strings in this show. And of course, the puppets in this show would be us. Sometimes we look, and, and sadly, this is common. And, and, and like I said, I, I talk to people, and sadly, I come to the conclusions like, we think God is a puppet show. He's just pulling strings every which way. And how we perceive that determines our choice making. What actually happened in this circumstance is God has given us some strings to pull. You realize that? That's what's involved in freedom of choice. Strings that he does not pull, he expects us to pull. And whichever way we pull sometimes, because of freedom of choice, he respects the way we decide. Freedom of choice is a very, very important aspect. And it is also something that comes with grave responsibility. We can choose our freedom of choice to invite more of God's involvement or less of God's involvement. And uh, for example, for to illustrate this, here's a little Lego truck, right? When I was little, I used to play with these. I don't play with them anymore. I borrowed these from my friend Joshua, okay? And when I was little, I used to make a Lego city. And you know, I'd have this little Lego man and he'd come here and he would move there and then he comes here. I controlled everything in this city, in this world. And if I shook the thing, they all fall down. And I can put them up again. That might be an earthquake. I controlled everything. And our picture and our perception of God sometimes, in certain circumstances, is akin to that. Now that's a very shallow concept of God because you know when you grow up a little bit, this becomes a little distasteful and you run out of all the scenarios that you can go through and after a while, Reality is a lot more interesting. And yet, strangely enough, in some part of our religious experience, we hold a view of God that is akin to this particular concept. I want to challenge that today. I want to challenge you. That's why I want you to think. And I also want to hopefully uncover the danger, the extreme danger of that mentality. Does God control every single minute detail of what happens in this world? The answer is a resounding no. But we draw the line differently. Many things that happen, and we have discussions. And well, well, that was God's will. I'm not sure. Maybe that was God. Because we determine things differently. Let me, uh, let me read a story here. <clears throat> Before we read that story, I just want you to think about that. If God does not control every single minute detail, what do we call that? 
See, this is, so that's, that's basically what I mean. I'm trying to define what we're talking about. The things that happen, not because God wanted or intended, they happen because of certain choices that people make, for example. It's man's free will, and sometimes there are things that happen by chance or coincidence. You know, time, like the wise man says, time and chance uh, happens. We talk about being at the right place at the right time and something happens. Or some people sadly are at the wrong place at the wrong time. For example, you have natural disasters that happen. And sadly, as Christians, many times, we give the perception because, you know, I remember that, that tsunami that happened in the Pacific a few years ago. Remember that? The really huge one. Thousands upon thousands of people died. And you know, we had discussions about, which, which, because this is what we do. We, we have to make sense of the world around us. We have to understand what's going on. Some people say, well, that was, that was a very wicked part of the world and, and that was an act of God. Some people say differently. How do we perceive that? This is among believers. And sometimes the Christians many times keep saying, see, yes, God is judging the world. God is punishing the world. And we paint God in a bad light. We give him a bad reputation when sometimes these things happen and he had nothing to do with it. And so you have some of these atheists who make comments and some of our reading of occurrences and our attributing them to God's will, we are his worst publicity people. It's like God say, oh, don't. But we make decisions about, now that's a big scale thing, right? And sometimes I hear stories of like a flood comes somewhere and the only thing that's left standing is a church. You hear stories about that? Or like it's an Adventist church. Like, wow, see, you know, God protected it. And sometimes that's true. But what about the other disasters where the church wasn't protected? We don't talk about them. We don't have an explanation. How do we read things that happen? That's on a bigger scale. I'm going to bring it to a smaller scale in our world, in the world we interact in, our everyday thing. How do we read that? When we read it wrong, brothers and sisters, we open ourselves to a grave danger, a very, very grave danger. Because we begin to attribute to God what God never did. And we act based on that. Let's look at a story in the New Testament, Luke 13, just quickly here. I'm trying to be quick. Luke 13. <clears throat> Luke chapter 13. I just hope nobody misunderstands what we're trying to say today, but... God willing, no one will. Luke 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Interesting story. Here's this people going to worship God in the temple, bringing their sacrifices. Pilate slaughters them, and he mingles their blood with their sacrifices. A horrible, atrocious act. What do people conclude? These must have been horrible sinners for God to allow this to happen to them. And what does Jesus say? Don't think that way. Or these poor people just standing under the tower? 
and bang, it falls on them, they die. And so what do we conclude? These people somehow deserved what happened. God knew their heart, we don't know their heart, they died, they must have died for a reason. Jesus says, don't think that way. We're all on the same playing field. He says, except ye repent, you also will perish. In other words, we're all on the same level. Could it be that this tower fell because the builders didn't build it properly? Could it be that these people were at the wrong place at the wrong time? How do we read that? Jesus is using that example. Have things, <laughs> similar things happen today, and we read them in the way that Jesus says not to. You realize that? For example, I'll give you an example, practical example. See, an earthquake happens today, and this building collapses on all of us, and we all die. God forbid. Say it happens. Now, we, we pray for God's protection, and it does protect us. But say that happens. How many people do you think are going to conclude that we were some sinners or heretics, and God showed that we were wrong by letting that happen to us? Do you think some people might conclude that? Do we think that way as well when certain circumstances happen? Do we judge things based on our preconceived ideas? And then we attribute that thinking to God and we actually say that was God's will? I want to come to that and clarify it a little bit. Jesus was basically teaching and saying, sometimes things happen to people not because they deserve them. Not because they deserve them, but they happen to people. Why? Because we are in a world where there is sin and free choice. And many times what is called an act of God, and that's what's called on TV. You know, some, a few years ago, there was a, a movie about it where some, some uh, disaster happened. And because it's called an act of God, the man wanted to sue whoever was the representative of God. And so he found the biggest representative of God was the Catholic Church. So he sued them because he had the natural disaster that destroyed his property. I didn't see it, but I was familiar with that. So you know what I'm talking about? It's called an act of God. When some big disaster happens, uh, you know, it's, it's referred to as an act of God. That is really sad because many of these acts are not acts of God. There's also Satan. Some of them are acts of Satan. And some of them are acts of men. And God had nothing to do with them. Because we're living in a world that said to God, we want nothing to do with you. And he gets the blame. How do we perceive God's will in smaller life circumstances? It will shape our walk with him. All too often, I, and I hear that, I'm gonna share with you some examples and you're gonna understand what I'm talking about, hopefully. All too often, I hear people attributing to God's will things that God had nothing to do with. I'm gonna show you some examples in a minute. And the problem I find is this. It, is, it seems to be some kind of a coping mechanism for us to make some sense of something we don't understand or something we don't like. And rather than shouldering the responsibility that comes with our freedom of choice, it is much easier to attribute that to God and thereby shift the responsibility. Because if it's God's will, it's easier to swallow. It's easier to come to terms with. But is it always God's will? 
We need to keep the big picture in mind. You see, brothers and sisters, if you think about the complexity of the world we live in, God has given everyone free choice, and there are all these interactions that happen all the time. And many times God interacts with his creation. So God is not trying to say God is aloof or far away and just lets things go. Many times God interacts with his creation. But many times God does not interfere with men's choices. And that's important to keep in mind. One verse that comes to mind in this perspective is Romans 8. You might be thinking of it. Let's go there. Romans chapter 8. Because when we talk about this, people say, well, hold on. What about Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I think we all know the verse, but let's read it. Because that verse tells us something that is very comforting when bad things happen. And that's true. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So... Even though some of these things happen, ultimately God is, is working out something good. But just keep in mind what the verse is saying, what the verse is not saying. This is a conditional promise. You realize that? To only who? Those who love God. And then it actually says that God works things together for good. It doesn't say that God causes the bad things that happen. It just says that when bad things do happen, God has the ability to take that and turn it around for good for those who love him. But the bad thing was not God's doing. Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we miss that. Bad things do happen. God can turn them for good. God will, take, God will do whatever it takes if you love him and you seek his will, he will do whatever it takes, whatever mess you find yourself in, he will do whatever it takes to turn it around. And he is an expert. He specializes in hopeless cases. That's his speciality. You know, you go to the doctor, he said they send you to the specialist. The specialist of hopeless cases and in turning them around is Dr. Jesus. But many times the trouble and heartache that began and started was not his doing. We, we have to remember that. And brothers and sisters, I want you to think of that inverse a little bit. We don't think of that either. What does it cost God to turn things from bad to good? There is great responsibility when choices are involved. Just look at Adam and Eve. They loved God and they made a wrong choice. What did it cost God to turn that and make good out of it? It cost him a great deal. It cost him his son. With choices comes grave responsibility. So just think of that next time, you know, that God working out things for good, it costs him something. Why? Because God has given freedom of choice, not so that he could violate it all the time. The purpose of God giving mankind and all creation freedom of choice is not so that he could keep overruling and overriding and interfering with it. God does not want this type of creation. Or he's, we lost the man. God does not want this type of creation at all. God has given freedom of choice. And we need to understand freedom of choice is one of the greatest gifts that God has given. And inherently linked with that is responsibility. Look at Lucifer, the choice he made. Grave responsibility, right? Look at Adam. And look at the second Adam. Choices carry responsibilities, whether good or bad. There's a, there's a particular document in the world that's abbreviated as the UDHR. 
UDHR. Anyone know what that is? UDHR, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, it has a list of all the different things of human rights. And, and that's the declaration that all the nations in the United Nations talk about. And you know the human uh, rights groups and when abuses happen in countries and say this is against human rights. What they're referring to is this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It has a lot of good sounding things in it and a lot of bad. I'm not here to discuss that. It's not the issue. God has a universal declaration of rights. The first article in that declaration, I believe, is freedom of choice for God's creatures. And God will do everything that it takes to protect and not violate that freedom of choice. What does that really mean? Look at the cross. God would rather his son die then he violate and lose article number one, freedom of choice. You see, you have to understand something. Christ's death on the cross was not simply to save mankind. It was to save the universe. What happened, the problem of sin was a, a universal disaster, not just on earth. Christ's death on the cross was also to ensure the continuity of freedom of choice for the whole universe. You see, remember something, you know, many times we talk about this. Well, you know, Lucifer sinned, why did God not just deal with it then and there and we all be done? And, and we know, well, you know, the angels, they would have been afraid and all that. He could have erased his, their memories, right? That's easy. But what would that mean? There is no real genuine freedom of choice. And God would rather maintain and protect that than to violate. That's how you have a harmonious, happy, creative universe that God can actually appreciate. You don't appreciate playing with toys very much. It's not fun for God to program robots and just play with them. You don't have, just like you wouldn't like to sit and play with that for too long, God doesn't. And so it's important for God to maintain that freedom of choice. So he had to come up with some plan. And this is the genius of the plan of salvation, some plan whereby he could not just save man, but maintain that they would have freedom of choice in the future as well. And that's why even when we're saved, brothers and sisters, there will still be the freedom and the possibility for us to choose sin. I'll say that carefully. God will not remove our freedom of choice in the future. But no one will make that choice because that has been abundantly demonstrated. You see the lengths that God went to to protect freedom of choice. It's very important for Him. And it's very important for us to understand how it operates. And of course, there are boundaries within freedom of choice. We have freedom of choice within our sphere. You know, sometimes we, we can't do things even if we want to. We have a certain limitation. And so we have limitations, angels have them, and God is, of course, the ultimate authority. So in our spheres of freedom, God has allowed us to function and operate with that freedom of choice. And God's plan was not to keep interfering with our choices, except as we choose to have his involvement in our lives. That's why in this world today, you have many obstacles against God's will being carried out. What happened when Satan took this world is that freedom of choice evaporated. You realize that? When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they lost freedom of choice. They became slaves, slaves of Satan. And that was against article number one. And so God said, part of the plan of salvation, no. These people are still going to have the freedom of choice. They need to have the freedom to choose another master if they wish. You think Satan would have allowed us freedom of choice? Everybody would ship out. 
That's, that's Satan's rule is no freedom. It's total control, total, complete control. And many times Satan has deceived people into picturing God as a control freak. Maybe not in everything, but in some things. And as believers, we sometimes see God as a control freak who pulls strings a certain ways, and we interpret circumstances a certain way. Let me give you examples of this because, you know, you might be thinking, what's we're going on a lot. Camp meeting this year. Here's camp meeting, right? You plan to come meet, you're planning to come to camp meeting. Some obstacle presents, it's, uh, you know, comes up. You don't make it to camp. How do you justify it in your mind? Well, maybe it wasn't God's will that I go to camp, right? We think that way. Say you overcome the obstacle, you do make it. It was God's will that I be at the camp. We do that all the time, all the time. Now, which one's right and which one's wrong? Depends on a lot of factors. Sometimes God does, sometimes he doesn't. It's dangerous to assume that that's always the case because God has given us freedom of choice. Let's say, for example, you're coming to camp. <laughs> you don't put fuel in your car, right? You don't make it to camp. And you conclude, it's God's will, I don't, I don't come to camp. Now, that sounds really silly, but many times, these things happen as a result of our choices or other people's choices, and God had nothing to do with it. He's given us freedom of choice. He's not a control freak trying, okay, now you go to camp. No, no, you stop. We're going to put a block here. Sometimes he does. Don't get me wrong. I really believe this. I've given my heart to the Lord, so I don't believe in coincidence as much. Sometimes he doesn't. It gets a little bit more dangerous. Let me give you another example. Here's a projector here, right? Or a camera. We go and preach in different places. Sometimes the equipment fails just when you're about to speak. Isn't that right, Brother Gary? Almost all the time. You can say that all the time. I've had a circumstance once. We go preach somewhere and project it didn't work. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, people think we talk about controversial issues. We sometimes talk about controversial issues, I guess. Uh, but people conclude some, say the projector doesn't work, so people conclude, aha, uh -huh. see? God does not want this message to be preached. You heard that? You're familiar with that thinking? We all think that. Or, no, we know this is the truth. Satan is trying to prevent this message from being preached. Let's pray. What's, here's a question. Which one is it, God or Satan? It depends on what you believe, right? How do you read that situation? Here are the facts. The projector failed. That's a fact. Sometimes we read that as God's will, right? Sometimes we read that as Satan interfering. And wonder of wonders, sometimes we conclude that what was going to be preached is error or truth based on our reading of the circumstance. You with me? So the projector fails. Oh, well, this message obviously is not of God because God stopped it. And you know what? There are many people who do that to determine what's right and what's wrong when it comes to truth and doctrine. As a matter of fact, there might be some of us sitting in this room right here. That sounds like it's foreign to you what I'm saying. I hope it's not. Sometimes the projector fails simply why? Because we didn't change the lamp. And God's like, I had nothing to do with that. Satan, I didn't have anything to do with that. But rather than shouldering responsibility, it's easier for us to attribute that to someone else. It was God's will. And so the responsibility evaporates. 
You would not, now, that's, that might sound like a, uh, you know, a puny little uh, mundane example, but it happens. You would be surprised at how many people have this shaky foundation as the evidence for why they believe some of the things they believe. Their interpretation of certain random events that happen as God's will, and therefore it justifies and approves a certain doctrine, a certain teaching, or a certain understanding. It is so common today. Rather than reading the scriptures and determining what it says on our knees with the leading and guidance of God's spirit, it's easy. That, that, that takes work. That, there's responsibility involved in that. It's much easier to say, oh, well, the projector failed. Obviously, that's not of God. The camera didn't work. If God wanted that message to be preached, he can get the camera to work. We prayed. It didn't work. As a matter of fact, this is so dangerous. And the danger in it, I'll tell you an example. One time, there was a, and it always happens when there's a, you know, some people agree with this doctrine, some people don't. And so it's kind of a mixed crowd. And I've sat in, in places where one brother was saying, this is God, and another brother was saying, this is, this is the devil. And it's the one thing that happened, and, and it really hit me. So which one is it? You know, we travel many times, and, and we are dependent on God for, for equipment to work. And sometimes the devil does interfere with it. I can tell you that. We've prayed and we've had miracles. And sometimes it is human or mechanical failure. Now, God can overrule for good. And when we're doing his work, we depend on him to overrule where we mess up, where we make the wrong choices. But sometimes we misread these things. Don't make it a habit to be an expert judge of what God's will is in circumstances when you could be wrong. It can lead you to dangerous places. Let me give you another illustration. One time, this person, there was, there was a whole debate whether this is right or this is wrong. And they said, look, well, I prayed that uh, if the preacher was wrong, that he would die before he preaches his message. That, that happened. I heard that. Now, that's an extreme example. But insert your scenario and how you think about the Insert your scenario in that. And here is the situation. So now you want, in order for God to tell you what's truth or error, you want him to kill someone? Yeah. Now, obviously, the person didn't die. And obviously, the, the, the listener concluded it's the truth. They did. Now, you might laugh at that, but brothers and sisters, do we do that? There are smaller instances. This is an extreme example. There are smaller ways where something happens, and we determine truth. We determine doctrine based on these happenings. Sometimes without even praying. You know, if you pray for a sign, okay, sometimes God works with that. You know, I had, <laughs> I'll tell you some examples. And I don't, I don't want to be too lighthearted about this. God works with us where we are. Thank God for that. But let's not make that a habit and a rule. You know, one time we shared the truth about God with one brother, and, and he, he, he it just wasn't really sinking. And then so he got some random phone call, and then he accepted the truth. And then we, we said, what happened? He said, well, well I, I prayed if, if this is the truth, that the phone will ring within the next five minutes. And, and, and he, there is a whole assortment of different scenarios that happen or that we misread as God's will for us to go this way, to go that way, to believe this, to believe that, or to believe the other thing. You know what I'm talking about? How do we make our decisions? The danger of this is listed in John 16. Let's go to John 16. The danger, let me look at the danger. Let's look at the danger of this. What is the danger? 
We're almost there. John chapter 16, <laughs> verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. How do people get to that? You think that killing someone is doing God's service. In other words, you think it is God's will that this person deserves death because he's such a horrible heretic. It comes about as a result of a consistent misapprehension and misreading of God's will in little things. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you get to a point where you feel this person needs to die because he's such an atrocious heretic. This heresy is so unbelievable. And I believe it's God's will that he dies. And you know what? If, if the person, God forbid, if the person dies, many people conclude it was God's will. <laughs> I'm giving you an extreme example to challenge the thinking in our I don't know every single scenario that exists, but I want you to think. You with me? I want you, how do you make your decisions? How do you choose what's right and what's wrong? Do you read circumstances and read God's will into it? Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you might be right. Don't presume that you'll be right all the time. It is very, very dangerous. God's truth is determined by his word, brothers and sisters. Not by random occurrences as interpreted by us. Why will they end up like that? Look at the next verse. It gives you the reason. Verse 3. And these things will they do unto you. Why? Because they have not known the Father nor me. You don't really know God. You don't know how God behaves. You don't know how God operates. You misread God. And if you keep misreading God, you will end up in a place where you will so misread His will that you will think someone's death is His will. It's the same group of people that in Matthew 7 come to Jesus and say, didn't we do this? And then we preach, and then we cast out devils in your name. And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. It's the same people. It's the same group of people. They do great work for God, and they also believe it's God's will that some people ought to die because they are heretics. That's not how God operates. You know this word, killeth you, in this verse? You know, we think, oh, nobody does that today. Well, we don't. That word, killeth you, there? It's not only physical death, it's also figurative. There's a lot of killing that happens today because of people thinking it is God's will. Character assassination. Evil speaking about someone. And the justification in people's minds is, it's God's will because we protect the truth. You have accustomed yourself to misreading God's will so much so that you end up fulfilling this verse. Killing people thinking you are doing God service. Beware of that. You know what I'm talking about, right? It happens a lot. It happens among us. How do we read God's will? When we attribute to all too often, brothers and sisters, we attribute to God human reasoning and human logic. Our picture of God many times and how God operates is only a mirror of our personal opinion. It's what we would do in that situation if we were God. Right? And we read that as God's will. So what happens? We project our opinion onto God, and that becomes the pattern that shapes us. We are self-patterning after our own opinion. It is self-deception. You realize what I'm talking about? That's why we have to be very careful 
when it comes to interpreting circumstance as to what's God's will or not. Unless you really know for sure, based on whether you prayed or evidence in the word, be careful. And be careful when you build, make decisions based on your reading of that circumstance. I know people, I'm telling you, I'm, I know people that for such shallow things like a camera not working, they don't believe the truth about God today because of shallow nonsense reasons like that. You know why? They read and they interpret the situation as God's will. Forget how many verses you might show them. Forget it. That's it. Something happened, they read, that's it. That's the final authority for them. Beware. We're experts at shifting responsibility. Look at Adam and Eve. They made the decision, shift the responsibility to God, right? Yeah. The woman you gave me and, and the, the serpent that you made, it was their decision, their responsibility. Many times, we don't like to shoulder the responsibilities for our decision. We don't like to shoulder the responsibility of searching the scriptures as we should to find truth. <laughs> we often blame God for our own foolish choices. Let's look at Proverbs 19. Here's another interesting one. Proverbs 19, I know I might be stepping on some toes here, challenging your thinking, but it's a danger, brothers and sisters. It's a very grave danger. Proverbs chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 3. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Ever thought about that, what that verse meant? I was reading this verse with someone and it was like, what's this verse saying? The foolishness of man perverted his way and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Let me read it to you from another translation and then you'll see it straight away. Here's the contemporary English version. We are ruined by our own stupidity, though we blame the Lord. Our foolish decisions bring us trouble sometimes and our heart frets or we blame or we attribute that to God. We make poor, foolish choices, and we justify, rather than bearing the responsibility, we justify it as, well, it was God's will. God allowed it. God didn't stop it, so it must have been God's will. That is so common. I hear that so often today. Something happened, and people conclude, well, God didn't stop it, therefore it must have been His will. Where do you get the idea that God's going to stop and interfere with everything that happens if it's not His will? Where do we get that idea from? That's a false concept. And yet we use it also often. Sometimes God does that. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes God will do that. Sometimes he won't. How do you read? Proverbs says there is a way that seems right unto a man. But God stops him before he gets to the end. Is that right? It doesn't say that. It says the, the end of thereof is the ways of death. Many times God is left out. And many times God will respect people's choice and he will not interfere. He will try, but he cannot overrule. He, he, he does not want to violate that. He does not. He chooses, not that he cannot. He chooses not to overrule. You know, if there's anyone that God could have interfered and stopped in their tracks, it would have been Eve on her way to the tree, right? Could have sent an angel and said, Eve, turn back. Not, not that way. That's the wrong way. He didn't. Did God approve of that? Was it God's will that she go and eat? No. So God's lack of interference does not mean approval. How do we read circumstances and situations? You know, sometimes I hear this a lot. A person gets up the front and says, you know, I'm impressed by God to do this or to do that. You hear that? Maybe sometimes, or, or someone says, 
God told me to do this or to do that or to say this or to say that. One time I heard a brother say this, and, uh, and he was very adamant. You know, God impressed me, and we need to do this. Within a few weeks, everything he said was just total opposite, and, and it was total nonsense. It wasn't God's impression whatsoever. Many times we blame God, and we use God to justify our personal opinions and prejudice. You realize that? That's dangerous. Now, God does impress people, but not every impression is of God. We have to be able to understand what is God's will. That's why we're talking about that today. It is human stupidity to interpret God's respect of our freedom of choice as endorsement and approval. Even among believers, it is dangerous to interpret God's blessing or that when good things happen, it means that God is endorsing or approving of our doctrinal position. And yes, so many people do that. Say you accept an error. You know, say I accept a heresy or an error. And I go start preaching somewhere, and then I get more invitations, and before long, you know, I have a following. I conclude I must be right. After all, look, God is blessing me. Do you know that most people, most Christians, interpret and think about situations like that? And many times God is not doing that. If, if that's the case, look at some of these televangelists. Yeah. They have more people in their camps than we do. So what's that mean? They have the truth? Yeah. How do you read circumstances and situations? One time I was in New Guinea. I was preaching. There was a thunderstorm. And uh, there is tin roof there, and we are barefoot on the concrete. And they had an archaic, ancient sound system that was a compilation of a few different sound systems they had over the years. And there was wiring and all that. It was a really budgy job. And I had the, held the mic, and the pastor told me before I got up, he said, listen, this is really dangerous. Do you really want to preach in a thunderstorm? And I said, yeah, of course. We, you know, I can't say no. And uh, he gave me the mic, and I felt the mic, and the mic was tingling in my hand. And you know what? I prayed, and I thought in my heart, Lord, don't let me die. Because I just know what some, some people will say. <laughs> some enemies of the truth are going to have a field day if I die. Because straight away, there you go. God struck him with thunder from heaven. Obviously, what he had to say was going to be error. You know what I'm talking about? We do that so often, so often. It's dangerous. And we make choices based on doctrine, based on what we do. Attitudes and our behavior towards people, many times, we justify it as God's will because of our misreading of these occurrences. Be careful. Beware what it's like. God is not a control freak. He's in charge. But he wants to teach us how to make right decisions. He expects us to make right decisions. Even when we are converted and we give our heart to the Lord, our freedom of choice is not gone. Some people have a false idea of what conversion means. It's like God takes over now, and that's it. You just cruise along. To a certain extent, that's true, but God still expects you to exercise your freedom of choice, even after conversion. He expects you to make right choices and to invite his input. And as much as your surrender is, is how much his input will be in your life. But sometimes we are converted and we believe we're right, and we kind of drift away, but we think every impression, everything that's happening, because we gave our life to the Lord, is from God. And we end up in dangerous places. People, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, people that we even know, will end up in a place where they will think that killing you and me is doing God's service. 
Isaiah 55, our time is gone and our lunch is waiting. Let's go to our last verse, Isaiah 55. I just hope you understand what I'm trying to share in the, day, the grave danger that is among us today when it comes to a misreading of God's will and what happens in certain circumstances. Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts then, your thoughts. Well, we all know that, don't we? But how much do we really believe that? God is telling you, brothers and sisters, today, me as well. I don't think like you. I don't react to situations like you do. I have this totally different way of doing things. You have no idea about it. I'm trying to teach you about it. All too often, we attribute to God and we act like we are in God's stead. You know, I sometimes think if I was in God's shoes, I would do this different. Or I would do this the other thing different. Or I would do different that way. I wouldn't have allowed certain things. I wouldn't have done. But I'm not God. Praise God for that. He is. You know, there is a very good and important saying. It says, it's not what we don't know that hurts us. But it's what we know for sure that just ain't so. I want you to think about that. Many times, what we know for sure was God's will. And if it isn't so, what does that mean? God's saying, listen, I want to teach you how to be like me. I am not like you. I'm trying to make you like me. As a result of sin, your understanding, your perceptions many times are off course. Don't think that you understand me as good as you might in all these circumstances. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't want to paint, like I said, I don't want to paint God as distant and that God doesn't interfere. But many times, you know what I'm talking about? We misread God. Isn't that right? And sometimes we look back and we realize that was a misreading. Sometimes we don't. Some people don't and they just keep going on and on and on. Don't be one of those. That's my appeal and that's my challenge to you. It's a legalistic way of looking at God when we think that, you know, God's going to strike dead someone who's a heretic. God's going to stop their equipment from working. It's like God's going to keep looking. He would do it. He doesn't do that. There are so many false teachers out there deceiving hundreds of thousands of people. God doesn't keep interfering in each one and killing them off. That's not how he works. Don't assume that he does. It's a legalistic way of looking at God that he controls everything. And what it does, we, be, we begin to pattern after our concept of God and it makes us legalistic control freaks. Isn't that right? That's what happens. Our perception and our concept of God and interpreting God's will can lead us to dangerous, dangerous places. Let's have a humble view of God's way, brothers and sisters. Let's have a humble, teachable view that comes to us and say, Lord, reveal to me. Rather to be too quick and sit in the judgment seat. All too often, so something happens and people straight away, they know what happened, where God's will is, bang, bang, bang. Let us not be too quick in sitting in the judgment seat. Let us be humble and teachable. Lest we be found in the place in the last days when we will say, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. It's a deadly cycle. I hope you understood what I said. Hope it made sense. Let's have a prayer. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.